When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Hey, welcome to the Invested Podcast where we are back for our 358th podcast. <laughs> I started doing this just to teach my daughter how to invest and here we are. She's taught me a lot during this whole thing too, which has been great. And we Aww. get to spend time together every week, which is Do you remember when we started, fun. Dad, and we were in Jackson and... Um, and I was like, let's do a podcast. And you said something like, what would we have to talk about for a whole 30 minutes? And I was like, well, let's <laughs> sit down. So we sat on the couch and we did like a test, a test one, just like without recording. And I think we went like easily like 35 minutes. And then we were both like, all right, there's something hey, here. Hey, we could we, yeah. we could do this. We yeah. could do this. Yeah. And for some, let's some do reason, 358 you guys haven't gotten <laughs> And last week we were talking about Charlie Munger's meeting and we wander a field, which is fun. That's what we like to do. Um, we got all into the morals and ethics and how sticky that's that particular subject is. And then um, we started talking about what? Right at the end of last week. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Yeah, well, let's first, let me just was, give a little a intro for, for people who... Jump oh, right in there. <laughs> oh, we were talking about passive investing and what Thank Charlie you. said about it. Passive investing. But... For anybody who missed last week, go back and listen to last week. Obviously, if you want to listen to Charlie Munger's talk at the Daily Journal, um, it's on YouTube. Yahoo Finance broadcasted it, and you can find it. Just put in like Daily Journal Munger 2022. It'll it'll come up. Uh, DJCO is the company. So, yeah, so we yep. talked a bunch about um, basically the problems in life. And Charlie had just been asked about a lot of issues with like investing and the market and dealing with, um, with, uh, companies being way too profligate with their money. And so then the next question was what impact has passive investing had on stock valuation? And he just straight up said, that's another thing that's coming, <laughs> which I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is something he's seen as coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. He says, we've had this enormous transfer of voting power to these passive index funds, and it's going to change the world. I don't mm -hmm. know what the consequences are going to be, but I predict it will not be good. Yeah. Very yeah. strong. Very strong. I mean, think strong. about it. You have, you have basically an enormous amount of voting power in the hands of an un, a completely uninvolved yeah. manager. By definition, a passive and investors manager. and investors, 
Yeah, I mean, by an investor. Yeah, the manager of the investments is the one who's making the decisions on voting for the board of a company for proxy questions and so on, making a decision about that without any idea about the company whatsoever. Because passive investors have no interest in learning anything about the company. They're simply matching an index. That's all they're yes. doing. So by definition, it's, purely it's a large technical. cross-section of companies. And yep. there's no reason so you have, to learn about you that. You basically have a robot, right? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing different from a robot or a computer uh, mm-hmm. from a passive fund manager. They're just trying, you know, with algorithms to just match uh, the biotechnology index or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the NASDAQ or the Dow Jones. They're just trying to match that as perfectly as possible. They get an A if they match it perfectly. And um, they're receiving billions and billions of dollars. Of, I mean, it's, it's trillions of dollars now. Probably in the ballpark of $15 trillion is sitting in passive funds where the voting for or against initiatives is being done by a computer, by, yeah. by something with no I mean, wish it was a computer, but it's not even a computer. A computer might actually know something in a weird way, but the <laughs> fund manager doesn't. And how do they vote? How do yeah. they vote? I mean, that's crazy when you think about that. That if I'm running a, a company and I go to my, and I say, I want these five people on the board of directors, and I put forward a slate of directors. Uh, and everybody's just going to vote for it. They don't have any interest in it one way or the other, which means I know I can put a bunch of people on that board that will only do what I tell them to. Mm-hmm. Now, that might change the way these companies work. Oh, wait a second. That's the way things work right now. Mm-hmm. Before all this passive investing started, they already had figured that out. Most board of directors rubber stamp the CEO. Mm-hmm. Most board members have been handpicked by the CEO to be a rubber stamp for the CEO, to rubber stamp the CEO's uh, initiatives, and most importantly, to rubber stamp the CEO's request for more money in his paycheck. <laughs> and they do that with enormous uh, certainty. And if I don't think you're, my board is going to go along with me on my $140 million paycheck, I, I'm just going to get rid of a couple board members here next time around get some people that do want that 300 grand a year and the ride on the G5 wherever they want to go. I'm somebody who looks at who's on the board of companies. And I know most people don't really care that much. They just figure a board is a board and you uh, are going to, it's going to agree with the CEO. So who cares? But I think it's so special to find a company that has a board that might possibly disagree with the CEO for the good of the company. And I was so intrigued when you and I were uh, watching the interview with Monish Pabrai that happened right before the Daily Journal meeting, which Sum Zero put out. So you guys can go watch that if you want. I think it's on YouTube. And, um, and they were talking about how Peter Thiel recently left the fate let's call it the facebook board the meta mm-hmm. board and um and i just loved hearing that monish pabrai thought that that was a real danger signal for that company because i completely agree whether or not you like peter Thiel or not because he is a very polarizing figure what i like is that he is a polarizing figure and he's somebody mm-hmm. who 
constantly says what he thinks, and it's usually different from what most people in Silicon Valley think. And I thought it was great that he was somebody on that board to give a voice to any sort of disagreement, and now he's gone. And so finding a board that has somebody like that or multiple somebodies like that, I think is a really powerful sign that a company is trying to get real guidance and not just follow the one person and somebody like that leaving. It may mean nothing, but it may mean something. So um, I felt vindicated by hearing that from Manish Prabhai. So moving on, what do you think? Move on to some other Charlie stuff? Go for it. Okay. Um, big question about increasing interest rates. Um, you know, what's what's going to happen? So in 1950, after World War II, there was a big increase in interest rates to avoid inflation as so many people came back and went to work and uh, driving up wages. And then the same thing happened in 1980 uh, for an entirely different reason. Um, interest rates were driven up by Paul Volcker to 15%, or sorry, almost 19%. Um, mm. So gigantic change from where we are today with a 10-year, we're talking like 10-year, 20-year, 30-year T-bills. Gigantic change from where we are today, where the 10-year is at 1.6, 1.8, and the 30-year the is at 2, hmm. 2%, with inflation at 7.5. You want to put your money away at 2% and having 7.5 inflation eat it away at 5.5% per year. You know, not many people want to do that. So what's going to happen? The, the question was that. What's going to happen? Um, I thought that was fascinating. Um, yeah. That we've been we've been printing money, you know, not just we. I'm talking the United States plus Europe plus Japan. Um, we're just in uncharted territory completely. And uh, Charlie made this really good point. I hadn't thought about it, but it's a really good point. And that is the Japanese have printed money like there's just no tomorrow whatsoever. And then they've taken the money that they printed and bought stocks in the stock market. And now the Japanese Federal Reserve, I think, owns 30% of the Japanese stock market. Hmm. And so how is this not terrible, right? How do you con- continue to have a, f- a functional country when you're printing monopoly money and buying stocks with it? He says they don't even have that much inflation. They still have a very admirable civil. You remember this? They This admirable yeah. civilization. Yeah. Um, and But here's what they did. He said they, they haven't had, t- had terrible consequences. The only bad consequence, they've had 25 years of going nowhere. Yeah. That's fairly bad. Like if you're an investor in Japan 25 years ago, your compounded rate of return in the Japanese stock market over that entire period of time would be a big fat zero. But he gives a reason for that. Yep. Which is? Which is, he says, I don't think it actually came from their economic policies. He says, I think it came from the rise of competition for their exports from China and Korea. So he's saying it may, it, I, I think he's saying it may have been that, but it, there's a lot of other stuff going on with their economy and the change in, uh, in how things are made well, and exported. There, there is other stuff going on. So but it, it, I, I think the point is that those same things are going on over here. We're just yeah, getting yeah. to them 20 years later. Right? Do we have com- competition from China and Korea? Uh huh. Yeah. Do we have an aging population? I yeah. mean, Japan is getting to a point where they have, I think, two workers that are retired for every worker they have working. That's in the cards for the United States coming up soon. And it becomes extremely difficult to meet your obligations uh, by taxing. And you can't. J- J- Japan would tax itself out of existence if it did that. So it had no choice but to print money. 
Absolutely. And wh- how are they getting away with it? Charlie thinks they're getting away with it in part because the Japanese are really disciplined as, a, as an entire race. Um, they, they invest their money in a disciplined way in the Japanese treasury bonds. So a tremendous amount of the earnings go back into the treasury and support, effectively support that government policy without creating inflation. Um, so they're just sort of sucking it up. He said they're just sucking it up and coping. And I don't know that that would happen here in the United States. Neither does Charlie. I think we have a much more volatile mix of races. Uh, we certainly have uh, uh, the in the the envy class, if you will. We have the right. We have all the people who are envious of what all the other people have, and that oh. envy is growing as the gap grows between the richer and the poorer. Mm. Um, you know, it's it it envy is kind of what explains how people who are living a middle-class existence relative to everyone else in the world could, could feel like they're under the poverty line and, and are, are just coping. Mm. Um, so, right. Because other people just have a whole lot more and you want it. You do, it's not enough to have a roof over your head and, you know, and an iPhone it's, you need a lot more to be comfortable and I totally understand that. I'm sure I feel the same way. So we have, all of this stuff coming at us now, but we don't have a Japanese culture. And the result, I think Charlie thinks the result is going to be very explosive. Yeah, he went on to talk about, the question asked him to compare it to the 70s and if he thought it would be like that. And he basically said, in a way, but I don't think our politicians have the ability to create... um, such a high interest rate environment that could create a horrible recession. Right. And so he said, I think the new troubles are like, sorry, my voice is just. <clears throat> yeah. He basically said, we're not going it. there again. <clears throat> he said that, you know, the politicians let uh, Paul Volcker do yeah. what he believed he had to do at the federal reserve to stop inflation, which was to raise interest rates to 15%. And just shut down the economy, make a massive recession, throw millions of people out of work. Those politicians just won't do it now. Yeah. And then he connected it to uh, these countries where they've had huge problems with inflation, which I thought was super interesting. So what he basically said was with mega inflation comes people not having enough money to purchase things. They have no purchasing power anymore, which creates a very unhappy population, which in a democracy right. means that then people will vote in a strong man. That's what Charlie said. And that right. tends to create a dictatorship. Right. And, you know, he's not wrong. He's he says not it's been wrong. going on for 2,500 years, this yeah. cycle. Um, Plato he invoked wrote about Plato, it. exactly. Yeah, Plato wrote about it, happened in Greece. This is the end of a democracy. This is how democracy folds up, is that the people vote themselves out of the democracy in order to get someone in charge who can stop the pain, and that someone promises that they will, and you end up losing your democracy. Happens over and over again in Latin America. It doesn't seem to fix anything, right? The, you get Well, mm-hmm. I, I take that back. Uh, I take that back. In Argentina, it doesn't seem to fix anything. They keep having the same problems over and over again. But when Pinochet took over Chile, right, just basically, you know, had a massive uh, military takeover of Chile and then instituted 
essentially supply side Milton Friedman economics and, and, and it worked. And he was basically copying Lee Kuan Yew. So there's two countries right there where strong men took over, ran them and brought them into wealth and prosperity and success and reinstituted democratic norms. So I guess you can't yeah. just say it always goes down the tubes, but you know sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes no, it's it works. so interesting that you bring up Chile because that is like I don't know that much about it, and it just reminds me that it's one of those countries I've been meaning for years and years to read about that story because it's it it has a tremendous entrepreneurial community and success, and the I mean there are so few countries besides the U.S. and Israel that have that kind of um, ability to support risk-taking and uh and chile is always listed as one of them and i've always thought like oh i need to go learn what you they're do doing over go. there there's a lot of there's a lot of academic uh, i'm remembering from my entrepreneurial law classes there's a lot of academic work on chile and how they've been so successful in creating that kind of environment it's really really interesting it's fascinating because chile is starting to swing farther and farther left now which again is just the it's it's a cycle. It's almost like a an inevitable cycle is that you bring in capitalist reforms, people start getting wealthy again, the wealth starts scattering down through the economy, but eventually there starts to be a big gap between the wealthy and the and the less wealthy, and that starts to create envy. The envy creates uh, initiatives for demagogues to come in from that side to overthrow these you know, begin to, to start to overtax and then ultimately confiscate and you go through the cycle again. And it's yeah. just like, damn, here goes Chile So hopefully Chile the again. U.S. can uh, stay away from the demagogues, let's put it that way. Well, we haven't really done very well at that right no, now. exactly. The, the right has obviously <laughs> voted in someone who looks I'm saying in the future. Demagogish. I hope the U.S. can stay away right? And the And the response by the left is probably going to be equally extreme and it may be that Ray Dalio is right. He made me basically thinking that whoever wins the next election, uh, it will be attempted to be voided by whoever lost and they'll claim it's fraud oh, on God, both sides. I can't go through it again. I Isn't cannot. that amazing? Oh, I think w w when you have this kind of stuff building, excess creates these kinds of problems. Um, when you don't take your medicine early on, um, you just keep putting off the yeah. dealing with the disease the disease gets worse and worse until it kills you. Yeah. And so where, you know, where chemotherapy would have worked on your cancer five years ago, you put it off five years. Now the amount of chemotherapy you need will kill you. And where you allow people in two parties and Charlie talked about potentially maybe we need a third party that comes up because where you allow people to have two parties that are constantly going to the far ends of each spectrum in order to win their districts, which are horrifically gerrymandered and unable to change them in order to keep them so-called safe for each yeah. party. And they each yep. support each other in that so that they continue yep. to get more extreme. It shuts yep. out anybody in the middle and it gets worse and worse and worse, which yep. is a problem that was anticipated by the U.S. founding fathers and they... Yep were not able to legislate around it at the time. And unfortunately, here we are 200 years later, more than 200, what, what are we at, 240? Um, yeah, we're, we're facing the, at, at both parties are saying, if these other guys get elected, it's the end of democracy in America. From, from one side, the extreme is saying that the other side is going Marxist and will 
ultimately destroy the country by pandering to the need of all the envious people who want more and more from the government. And the other side is saying you're electing a demagogue who will overthrow the democratic norms and take over the country and destroy democracy. And he's already made his first attempt. And so really, and both sides are having trouble talking to each other. The press is wildly uh, uh, pulled apart. Charlie talked about that too. You can't, you can't trust what you hear on anybody anymore. So, you know, there's been a couple of channels that have come up this side day. We're, we're the real news and then they get biased. It's like they discover they don't have an audience unless they pander to the, to the worst instincts of, of everyone on that side. And uh, the ultimate result of this historically has been not good. Um, And Ray Dalio, I know is very worried about where this is all going and very hopeful we can find a soft landing, but as yeah. time goes along, we just don't see it. It's just don't. So I guess we can wrap up here for a second. But I just think that you you have to protect yourself. as, And the way to do it is to learn this kind of investing, you guys. This this stuff we've been teaching you for 358 <laughs> podcasts. Obsessed with saying that. <laughs> is, is what we've been taught to do when things get extreme. And so maybe next time we'll talk a little bit about anti-fragile again. We haven't talked about that for a while. Or we can talk some more about what Charlie is Charlie's doing. You want to Well, let yeah, me let me just wrap up on the political thing because I think uh, last time we were talking about investing in various countries and the morality of looking at what various countries are doing and I'm going to put in a little plug for Switzerland here because Switzerland's oh. political process is very similar to the U.S. in that it's a federalist system with states that all vote and you vote within your state and you send people to the legislator from your state. But they have a consensus-based executive, which I'm going to get this wrong so Swiss people don't yell at me, but I think it's five people. And those five, there's no one head the way the U.S. has the president. There's a... I think it's five, so let's go with that. There's five people and they have to agree. And they have to be from various parts of the political spectrum. So the consensus is built into the system. Now, that's not to say that there aren't extreme political parties in Switzerland, because there absolutely are. And they have come out in force with all the COVID restrictions, uh, which I strongly disagree with. I support the COVID restrictions. I disagree (laughs) with the political parties on the severe right. Um, But it's been interesting for me as an immigrant, as an outsider. So you're against the truckers in Canada. I don't know anything about that. I that's a good answer. I've heard like an, from that one. like a headline or something. I honestly have no clue what's going on. That one. I was I was loading the dice on that one. Oh, never mind. Genuinely, but, I, I don't Can know. you imagine the United States if we had five people in the Oval Office from different points of view? They would get they would never agree about anything. Yeah. Except that if you want to do anything, you'd have to agree. So well, it's sort it's of this to like get five to agree than the four hundred. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean there are there is a legislature, so like those people have to vote for bills as well. So it's a obviously like a very similar system. But it's a system that supports consensus. And it seems 
again, as an immigrant outsider, like it seems to be working decently well in a stable way. And that is maybe the best democracy can can hope for. Maybe they can get there. Maybe they can get there. I hope so. I hate to see the United States democracy fall apart. So that's my plug for Swiss companies. There are many. Ah, Go check them out. Okay. That sounds fair. Let's talk about Switzerland is one of the largest uh, producers of pharmaceuticals, maybe the largest producer of pharmaceuticals in the entire world. I think per capita, it's the largest producer. I didn't know that. Do you want to talk about any of those next time? No, I want to finish talking about Charlie. I'm just plugging okay, Switzerland. Okay, we'll come back to Charlie. We got to come back to Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> a tiny right. country nobody ever talks about. <laughs> All right, there's a there's a lot more to talk about with Charlie. Let's we can talk about gas and oil production. We can talk about um, going into a a like Warren Berkshire buying into a gaming company. What? Yeah, um, I was so. I was next going to talk about a lesson that I learned about investing, which I thought was fantastic. So why don't I start there next time? Okay, that sounds good. Okay. All right, guys, until then. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Bye. Time to go play. See you. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it.